Well, good morning, everyone. In case you missed it the, the last seven times, my name's Emma. Um, <laughs> um, and it is such a privilege to be here speaking at the first Sunday of 2020. It's crazy, yeah. Still feels a bit weird to say, don't you think, 2020? I was at work the other day. The only place where I really write the date these days. I kept writing 2019. So that's probably not good for the, uh, the accounts. I work. <laughs> um, but I do want to ask you this morning, as we begin, how, how you're feeling about 2020. Not just saying it, obviously, or writing it down, but how you're actually feeling about the coming year. I wonder if 2019 met your expectations. Was it all that you'd hoped it would be? Maybe moving away from home was harder than you thought. Maybe a new job wasn't quite what you were expecting, or maybe a friend let you down. If you're in that place, I wonder if you've, that's affected how you're looking ahead to 2020. Perhaps you've kind of decided to prepare for the worst, or, or you're expecting better things. Or maybe that doesn't resonate at all with you, and you're thinking, no, bring it on. I've had an absolutely great year, great few months, and I can't wait for the next few. And I would just want to say, whatever, whatever camp you're in, wherever you are in the spectrum, you are so welcome this morning, and there's a place for you here. Um, so I'm just going to pray as well, after Kath's prayed anyway, but I'm going to pray. Yeah, God, we just thank you so much that we get to be here this morning and the privilege it is to be together as family. God, I just pray that as we reflect on this last year and as we prepare our hearts and minds for the coming year, God, would you just speak to us this morning? Amen. Anyone who knows me well knows I absolutely love a plan. I love it. I can't get enough of it. I don't mind a bit of spontaneity, but it kind of has to be within the boundaries of, <laughs> of time to be spontaneous. Um, and because I love a plan, I don't love, don't love change. Um, and I love to kind of think about what's going to happen and like romanticize a little bit and think of the ideal situation. You've probably guessed from, oh no, it's not up there, but that's fine. Um, I'm talking about expectation versus reality this morning. Um, because often, when I kind of picture my ideal scenario, the reality is far from it, as I'm sure some of you might be able to relate to. Um, now, because I love to plan, um, so this summer I went on holiday with my family to Turkey. And they're quite happy to let me do some of the research. Um, and in doing the research, um, we were staying in this villa, and there was a lake not too far, well, it was about an hour's drive away. Um, but I read a little bit about it, looked in the Lonely Planet, so there's this nice little village and started to come up with this image in my head of this nice village. We could go for a walk around and then maybe stroll down to the lake and have a nice swim and it'd be all very, very, you know, ideal. You've probably guessed, but it was quite far from, from what I was expecting. Um, so anyway, we're leaving the villa and I'm telling everyone, bring your swim stuff. Like, it's going to be really nice. Like, don't forget your towels. Um, and we're driving to this villa. No, driving to this village. And as we're getting closer, I didn't realize that the village is not actually right on the lake. It's actually kind of in the hills. So we're going up these really narrow, um, steep roads. My brother's driving this quite big hire car. And he's like, Emma, are you sure about this? Like, are you sure? And I'm like, yes, come on, let's keep going. I've got the map, so he doesn't really have a choice. Um, and as we pull into this village, we kind of pull into this square. And we should have really noticed at this point, when everyone stopped and looked at us, that we probably should have turned around. 
Um, but anyway, this lady comes over to us and she's pointing further up this steep, narrow road saying, car park, car park. And I'm like, oh, guys, it's fine. There's a car park. Let's, let's carry on. And they're like, Emma, I'm not sure. Anyway, again, I, I, I decided, come on, guys, we're going to persevere. So we carry on up this steep, windy road. Um, and we put, we, as, I'm, as we're going along, I zoom into the map that I've got on Google Maps and realize we are going up a road that's a dead end. Um, but I was like, it's too late to stay now. And there's not really anywhere to turn around, so we'll just keep going. Um, anyway, so we get to the end of this road, and there's a patch of grass about the size of the car. Um, and the, the ladies who'd kind of followed us in the car start saying, car park, um, to this small patch of grass. Um, at which point everyone's like, abort, abort. This is not a good idea. So like, I give in. I'm like, okay, guys, yeah, this is probably not a good idea. So anyway, we perform like a 12-point turn, and you hear, you hear the stones crushing under the hire car as we like try and maneuver out of this situation. And these ladies are kind of surrounding the car, saying, no, stay here. Um, anyway, so I was like, guys, it's fine. We're going to go to the lake. We'll, we'll swim off some of this pent-up energy as it's got a little bit stressful in the car. Um, my dad had to get out to kind of help us navigate down, back down the road so we didn't scrape the car. Anyway, we pull, pull, get, to, get down to the lake, and the first red flag at that point should have been the fact that there was no one there, um, despite being a beautiful day. And I would just want to say at this point, this is not representative of my holiday in Turkey. It was, <laughs> it was, it was wonderful, and there were many beautiful places. Um, but anyway, so yeah, there's no one there. We had the second red flag really should have been when we opened the door and you smelt um, just the awful, awful smell <laughs> of the water. Um, but I'm like, guys, come on. <laughs> anyway, we, we walk up to the water and the final straw for me really was seeing the water. And I have got a photo. I don't know if you can really tell, but um, yeah. It's pretty black. Um, I don't know if you can really tell from the photo, but so anyone, everyone's like, great, cool, this is good, Emma. Um, an hour's drive, and this is, right, we're not going swimming in that. I was like, guys, there's a cafe. We'll go get an ice cream in the cafe. As you've imagined, it wasn't quite what we'd expected. Walked up to the cafe, and we were like, any ice creams? And they're like, no. Um, so we all had a Fanta, um, <laughs> and sat, and the view was beautiful. Um, but we did do a little two-hour two round trip for, for a Fanta. Um, but anyway, the reason I've titled my talk Expectation versus Reality is not just so I can tell you about stories of my holiday, um, although there were a few other points when didn't quite match up. Um, but I want to challenge us this morning as we think about the year ahead. And I want to ask if you're prepared to give over your expectations for this year to God to allow him to shape and mold our vision for this year. I've broken it down, because I love a plan, um, into three points, three questions that I want to ask this morning. Firstly, I want to begin by asking us, how do we feel when we look behind at where we've come? How do we feel about this past year? Secondly, I want us to ask ourselves how we feel about the year ahead. Are we looking forward with anticipation and expectation? Or are we looking forward with dread and anxiety? Thirdly, I want us to ask ourselves what it would look like to look above and to fix our eyes above on Jesus as we enter this year, despite our circumstances. So in order to consider these, um, I have picked a story in the Bible that I feel like 
will be helpful as we work our way through these questions. Um, so we're going to be reading from Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. If you want to have a look in your Bibles, feel free. Um, but I've also got the words on the screen. To give us some context, and whilst you're finding the, the verses, and um, we're reading from Luke, who wrote one of the Gospels around Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And the story here is the first of three stories reported in Luke of Jesus appearing to people after he'd risen from the dead. We don't know exactly who the two people are, apart from they were friends of Jesus. So I'm going to read it now. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Their faces stood, they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to his tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what it was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, what? were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Now I'm sure you'll agree there's a lot in that passage that we could talk about this morning, but I just want to focus on a few things that I think will help us as we look behind, ahead and above. First thing I want to consider how we're feeling about this last year. I want to encourage you this morning that however you'd answer that question, Jesus wants to know about it. I also want to just add a disclaimer to say if you're not feeling disappointed over this last year and you're excited, then that is amazing. What I'd encourage you to do as we kind of look at this last year is not to think, oh, I'll just zone out of this section because I'm feeling fine about it but consider what God might be saying to you this morning as we look ahead. The sadness and the disappointment in the story, I think, is so tangible. These two are feeling so let down. They're feeling hurt. How could they have been so wrong? 
Jesus, the one they thought was going to save them and bring them freedom, has just been killed. As the theologian N.T. Wright explained, they'd been traveling up a road that they thought was leading to freedom, and it turned out to be a cul-de-sac. The part of the story, though, that I really want to focus on is how Jesus responds to their disappointment. He doesn't tell them to move on. That he's here, it's fine. Like, guys, I think if I was in that situation, I'd be like, guys, I'm here, hello. Um, but instead, it's just two words. As they, In verse 18, they said, are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on? And he just replied saying, what things? He obviously knew what things. He was there. But he's asking them to tell him what they're dealing with, what they're disappointed about, what they're feeling hurt about. He allows them to deal with their pain as he walks them through it. When I came to thinking and writing this talk, I actually found it quite difficult to think of examples of previous disappointment in my past. Not because there haven't been any, but because I so often look back with very rose-tinted glasses um, and think, you know, oh yeah, that was, that was fine. It wasn't that bad. Um, and I'm not saying this morning that I think we should dwell in the past, but I think it's helpful as we look ahead to work out where we are and to be real with Jesus about where we are. Some of you all know I started a master's course this year, and when I began, the first, I'd say, maybe four or five weeks every week, I was like, what on earth am I doing here? Um, it was completely different to my expectations. One of the biggest challenges, I'd say, was my disappointment with myself. I kind of, as I went into it, I pictured myself walking into my seminars and having loads of chat with um, the other students and kind of saying what I was thinking and, guys, what do you think about this? Oh, yeah, I think this. Um, whereas the reality was that I sat there like, absolutely stunned trying to work out what everyone was talking about. Um, but as I took this to God and took my kind of disappointment at myself, um, I just felt like he, like a loving, loving father, just put his arm around me so gently and just said, tell, tell me about it. Tell me about it. He didn't try to fix things or say, don't worry about it, it's fine. Like, we'll get, you know, get over this. He just let me, let me tell him about it. Psalm 12 begins with the words, help, Lord. Jesus wants to be real with him about how we're feeling and where we're at. And he wants us to be real with ourselves as well. As we're real with God and reflect on where we're at, I believe that we're allowing him to speak into our lives. And perhaps this morning you don't feel like you're disappointed at what's happened to you this year or the last few months, but you're kind of disappointed at yourself and how you've acted. And maybe you haven't been the best version of yourself. And I want to suggest this morning as we reflect on our actions that um, we may learn in the process and that God can reveal things to us that we maybe didn't see at the time. The author Parker Palmer speaks of, being, speaks of the past as being compost for, growing, for the growing he needs to do in the future. But here's the deal, he says. The past isn't fixed and frozen the way we think it is. Its meaning can change as time unfolds if we pay attention. The good I do today may well have its roots in something not so good I did in the past. Knowing that takes me past, takes me beyond both the sinkhole of regret and the ego inflation of pride. Perhaps this morning you might find it helpful to ask yourself how you're feeling about this year and be real with Jesus as he walks you through it. So if looking behind means being real with Jesus, how do we look ahead this new year? The story we read in Luke gives us 
an amazing example of how Jesus can be right there and we're not aware of it. The passage reads that the two people on the road were kept from recognizing him as they walked along the road. Jesus was able to listen to them as they shared how they felt and even teach them kind of why he needed to die and be resurrected without them realizing who he was. Are we willing to accept that Jesus might be there, but we might not recognize him? Are we willing to accept that Jesus might be there, but we might not recognize him? He is always with us, accompanying, drawing alongside, asking questions for our benefit, not for his, and revealing himself at the right time. He's always the God of the unexpected. The Bible is full of stories of Jesus defying expectations, the Christmas story being a perfect example of how God came into this world in a way that completely was beyond people's expectations. Jesus then went through his life defying expectations. It doesn't take long to kind of read through and see what Jesus was doing that people weren't expecting of him. Going back to my example of being on my master's, as I kind of was preparing this talk, I felt like God revealed something to me, which was that my expectations of what it was going to be like were all about me in that situation. They were about what I'd get, what I'd get from being able to share with people, what I would, how I would look to other people, um, and basically came from a place of trying to, wanting to prove myself in that situation. And God's revealing to me that his reality will always, always exceed my expectations. For me on my course, God's not bothered about what other people think of me or how much I share. Um, he cares about what's going on inside me and how he's revealing himself to me. And that is way bigger than my expectations. We need to trust in the promise that he's faithful and he is trustworthy. Acts 17 verse 28 says, For in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, we can't go anywhere that he is not. Often I think our view of God is just too small. We put him in a box. And being human, our minds can't comprehend God because we're not God. So it's understandable that we try and put him in a box. But I think we need to blow off our expectations of what we think he's like and what we think he'll do and trust that he is faithful and that he's bigger than us. And it's probably going to be way different to what we expect. What he's going to do is going to be so different to what we expect. So how do we become more aware of who God is and ask him to reveal his vision for us? rather than being bound by our expectations of him? How do we eagerly anticipate all that God is going to do in us and through us as we give ourselves to a greater story than our own? How do we do what Paul commands us to do in Colossians 3, verses 1 to 2, where he says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. I think the passage we've looked at gives us a little glimpse of what we're called to do. So in the last three verses, verses 33 to 35, it says this. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. These two men allowed the reality of what Jesus of Jesus being with them to transform their actions. 
They didn't keep it to themselves. They weren't like, oh, that's nice. That's good. Jesus came and spoke to us. That's quite, that's really lovely. Um, they allowed it to transform their lives. And through that, their actions were changed. They went and told the others. They couldn't keep it to themselves. So often, I think, we're at risk when we are feeling low or disappointed is that we allow apathy to take over. We just start saying, oh, well, that's just how it is. Like, I'm just, I'm, I don't care anymore. Um, I think we're so at risk of being motivated only by ourselves and our own happiness. But we, like the two guys in the story, need to give ourselves to a greater narrative and allow it to transform us. And I believe that if we ask God to reveal the truth, that he is there, he wants to know, and he's going to exceed our expectations, I believe that if we ask God to transform that from just knowledge in our heads to truth in our hearts, then he'll do it. It would probably be different to what you expect, but I believe he will, if we ask him, we, he will. We're invited into a life of freedom where we're able to s- surrender our past disappointments, our past hurts, all our fears and doubts for the future, and our hopes and expectations. And we're invited to give that over to the King of Kings. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. God wants us to be free from all that holds us back. And to dwell with him is the most life-giving thing and allows us to be fully human. We don't need to be on our best behavior. We can just be as we are. He sees us and he knows us, and that is the most freeing thing. God's never at work. I believe it's our awareness of it. God's not out there somewhere. We need to kind of call him over like, you He's in us. It's just our awareness of who he is. So how do we grow in our awareness? I think we need to let go of what, we, what we're expecting. We need to hold lightly to what we're doing. We need to lean into what he's nudging us towards. And I think we need to take time to be attentive to what he's doing in us and around us. And I think we need to resist the urge to be so busy and so driven that we miss what's going on. So as I conclude this morning, I want to encourage you to ask yourselves the question, how might I pay closer attention to the king? How might I pay closer attention to the king? What are you going to do as we look ahead to 2020? What could you do on an annual, monthly, weekly, daily basis to nurture your relationship with God? And I say relationship because it is a relationship. It's not a five-point tick box because... That's not how relationships work. But in the same way that you'd want to invest in a friendship and plan to meet up, you wouldn't just kind of stumble upon it. I believe that we, we need to be intentional about our um, nurturing this relationship with God. Perhaps you'd consider um, developing a spiritual practice. It could be, you know, spending half an hour in the morning praying or half an hour reading your Bible or longer or shorter. Um, it could be fasting. It could be spending time asking God um, to reveal to you what, what he wants you to be thankful for in your life. Whatever it is, my encouragement to you this morning is to consider how you could develop your awareness of God and just give it a go.
the truth is that Jesus wants to know how you're doing. He wants you to tell him how you're doing and to be real with him. And he will always show up, often in ways we're not expecting. And if we allow him, Jesus wants to make this known in our hearts and to bring freedom and restoration to us. Freedom from having to do it on our own and instead giving it over to him to allow him to be king of our hearts.